Let us pray. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We're so thankful that Jesus Christ is our rock, our foundation, and that His grace is always sufficient. Now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And God is faithful. About a year ago, we were wondering if we'd ever see rain again. Now we're wondering if it's ever going to stop. A couple of thank yous for this morning. First of all, I thank all of you who uh, had my family and me as well in your prayers since my uh, sister passed on uh, on February, I mean uh, March the 2nd. Appreciate that. And I have a little note here from, uh, I was asked to read from uh, Dot and Pete. It says, as most of you know, Dot underwent surgery on her back on February the 28th. We have been overwhelmed with the phone calls, flowers, and food and have been, that have been brought uh, to the house, plus the prayers of so many believers. We feel like we truly are in the super grace life. We have some of the most wonderful Christian friends here in Brenham that is even beyond most people's comprehension. It has been amazing to sit back and watch how the Lord uses believers with their spiritual gifts and even better is to be the recipient of those gifts in action. So thanks again to each of you that are aware of who you are in Christ, Dot and Pete. You know... You can have all the doctrine in the world. You can memorize verses. You can appear outwardly as a spiritual giant. But it's when a fellow believer is in need and your compassion and your love and your consideration towards that people, that's where the rubber meets the road. And I have to say that I'm proud of you for uh, filling in the gap when there is a need. Let's see. um, I won't be here uh, Tuesday, so we will not have... Bible class Tuesday night, and we will not have young people's class Wednesday because I'm going to be at the Schaefer Conference at West Houston Bible Church in Houston. There is a link if you want to, uh, what do they call it, stream, yeah, live stream it, and um, I'm not sure yet. I think I put in the bulletin a link to Dean Bible Ministries. If you go there, you'll find some way to, uh, a path to actually live streaming while it's going on. Um, one other thing, I'm hot up here. Um, Garth, can you check the AC, especially over in this area? I know that some of you ladies are saying, oh no, you're just right. Or maybe even too, too cool, I don't know. Well, I'm thinking about it. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few, oh, wait, wait, one more other thing I was going to say. Did, did everyone get one of these? Didn't they do a great job on this? Yeah. We, our hat goes off to Sue, and I'm sure that Ken was uh, helping her along the way. We appreciate that. I mean, this is very proud. We're very proud to have something like this, and I use mine all the time. 
and it has uh, places to where you can any changes you can write down here. You can make any notes you want to, but the notes have to be flattering. <laughs> we don't want any negative notes in here because that would bode, be, bode ill for all of us. Only the good kind of notes, okay? Okay, now let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The option of confessing any unconfessed sins to God the Father, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and that you answer prayers. We thank you for this rain. We've needed it for a long time, and now we're really getting a soaker so that maybe some of the trees that were in distress will be able to live. We thank you for this place that you've given us, that we can come and be in a dry environment as we concentrate on your word. We pray that we will be very mindful of those who are infirm and are undergoing uh, health issues, those who are on the roads. There's several that are out and traveling today. We pray for them as well, but we also pray that you will help us to focus our attention on your word. For your, your word is alive and powerful, and it goes where nothing else can go. And all of us desperately need to be re-energized in order to stay the course, in order to stand firm for the faith. It's so easy to get distracted. So we pray that you will help us all to focus this morning, for we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're still in the Joshua series, but in Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, we uh, had a verse that talked about rest That same issue is developed in Hebrews chapter 4. We went all through that. And essentially what we're on right now is highlighting the doctrine of faith rest. And we've gone over some of the essence box. Now the essence box is simply a visual to help us remember the attributes of God. We have listed ten of them. It's important to note that the essence of God is vitally important to God. If it's important to Him, it should be important to us. In fact, all three members of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all share this same essence. That's what they have in common. There are three persons in one Godhead, and it's their essence that are identical. And so... That's why we are spending uh, the time and energy to focus upon the essence box. Because so many people have a concept about God. They talk about God, but they don't really know that much about God. And as we look at each manifestation of His essence, we get to know God all the better. In fact, when it talks about the Bible talks about the glory of God, A huge part of that glory is His essence. And I hope that you will recognize this as an integral part of faith rest. 
Because I've said over and over again, whenever you're under pressure, whenever you have problems and issues, you have a choice. You can either focus on that problem and be full of woe and foreboding, or you can concentrate on the solution, which is God and His essence. You can't concentrate on both at the same time, and you choose what you're going to concentrate on. And so... This essence box is linked to faith rest. It's what we think about under adversity, about how God is always faithful and each attribute we can apply to that circumstance and come up on top, not be undone by fear and other mental attitude sins. Now, not all of the characteristics of God's essence is manifested at the same time. For instance, when we look in the Scriptures and we see salvation, then the attributes of love and eternal life are highlighted. When we think of the uh, judgment of God when it falls, we think of the righteousness and justice of God is in view. When we think of the faithfulness of God, we think of His immutability and His veracity. When we think of God's plan, we think of His omniscience and His sovereignty. So they're all there at all times, but we don't always see every manifestation of His essence in any particular situation, but they are always there, no matter what. That said, I'm going to show, I'm going to put on the board what we've seen before, the uh, essence box. And we start out with justice. Now, I'm not going to belabor this. I've already gone over it twice. But it's, it's, I have it first because it's so important. When we think of God's justice, the first thing that comes to my mind is that God is fair. And that is rare indeed, isn't it? I mean, the, the people that are closest to us, that we love more than anyone else, are not always 100% fair, are they? Sometimes mental attitude sins intrude. Selfishness is one of the big ones. It's our nature to be that way. But isn't it great to know that our, our, our God has perfect justice? That means he is always fair. It's impossible for him to not be fair. And you have people who have great adversity come into their life. And they say, this is unfair. This is not right. And they will want to blame someone else. By the way, does that really help the situation? We are trying to place blame on suffering and adversity that comes into our life. Uh, we may think it makes us feel good, but it really doesn't. It doesn't help any. And if, if a person is under adversity and they can't find anyone else to blame, who are they going to blame? They're going to blame God, aren't they? Well, that's absolutely ludicrous because it's impossible for God to be unfair. Now, we live in a fallen world. Satan is the... Uh, one that is over this world at the present time. However, that doesn't mean that God is somehow stymied or hamstrung with His fairness. 
So we can. You, have you ever seen people get so angry that they just they might do it, might not do it outwardly, but you can tell by their attitude and by their demeanor that they just want to shake their fist at God and complain that this is unfair, this is not just, and they want to blame God. Maybe you've been there. Well, it's nice to know that God can work all things out for good to those who love Him. And if you love Him, even though you recognize that things are, are not as they should be, and that you are suffering unjustly, then the Bible says we should do what? Remember? Rejoice. Because we're all going to suffer. And suffering many times comes in the form of punitive action. In other words, when we are disobedient, when we try to ignore God and His Word, then the suffering can be deserved because He brings suffering into our life to get us back in touch with reality, to humble us. But when we are humble, when we are growing in grace and knowledge and we still get suffering, that's when even believers can start getting angry and maybe even tend to blame God. Why did you let this happen to me when we should be rejoicing? Because you see, when you are suffering undeservedly, it means that God is trying to show you off. That's what He was doing with Job. The suffering that came into Job's life was to demonstrate to Satan that Job was not going to cave and curse God the first time some adversity happens. So we should be, really, when this adversity comes into our lives and when it's not, when it's not deserved, it's hard for us to do. In fact, it's impossible if we're thinking human viewpoint. But we recognize, okay, God... I, don't, I didn't see this coming, and I know that it's unfair. Obviously, it's undeserved suffering. It's not punitive. So I'm very anxious to see, you how, see how you're going to get me out of this one. You ever been there? And when we're anticipating and depending upon God and His justice to see us through, then it's bearable. And we can take any type of circumstances and rise above it. Because God give us the, gives us the power through the Holy Spirit. Now see, I just said I'm not going to belabor justice. This all depends on your, I guess, definition of belaboring something. We're not going to go through all of these. We've already seen these verses. Uh, while I was teaching this the first time, what about the heathen? Because there's a lot of people that always say, yeah, but what about the heathen? Yeah, God is, 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 is just for those who have heard the gospel and when they reject it. But what about those who haven't heard the gospel? Well, we covered that in detail. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. If you weren't here, you might be saying, whoa, wait a minute. You're going to have to get this one later because we've already went through this. Suffice it to say that... Well, let's go... Uh, here I am. I'm slowing down again. Uh, let 
Verse 20, Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes and His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made, that is the creation itself, so they are without excuse. In other words, if they grow to an age where they can understand that no person could create this earth, and they still say, well, so what? I don't care. I'm going, to, I'm going to practice my parents' religion, whether it may be a Hindu or Buddhist or a Muslim. Then they are already without excuse and they're condemned. But everyone has a will, a free will. If they want to know more about this God, then God is going to bring the gospel to that person. So... Another illustrations of God's perfect justice. And we brought in more things than, than that. But the next thing is His righteousness. I like to kind of boil these down to their lowest common denominator, I guess, so that I'll be able to remember them. And God's righteousness, if you want to put it in one sentence as, as basic as you can get, is God is always right. You don't ever have to question God because His own Word verifies the fact that He is eternally and you could say He's omni-righteous. He's always righteous. It's impossible for Him to be unrighteous or to be wrong about anything. Now, if you are honest, there are probably times when you wanted to, honor, uh, wanted to argue with God. Now, maybe you didn't have the courage to do it you didn't audibly say, okay, God, what's the deal here? How can this possibly be right? You may not, may not have articulated this verbally, but in your mind, when you start questioning God, whether, does He really know what He's doing? When you pray for something and it, and it, goes, it gets worse, and you're saying, well, then you start doubting His veracity. But you're also doubting His righteousness. How can He be right about this? We've already covered this one in detail. Here's the verses. God's righteousness is not relative. He's absolutely righteous in all things, at all times, always perfectly right in all that He does. I think that should be a uh, comforting thought, that we have a God that is always right. We don't have to question, well, is He sure about that? I mean, we may think that, but deep down, if His Word is valid if he does has perfect veracity, then we can trust that he's always right. Love. God has a love that when we, when we compare it to the type of love that we have, really just doesn't, it doesn't come into focus. His love is so far superior to ours. We saw that God has uh, his love exists in two forms, personal and impersonal. Now, this is interesting. His personal love is directed only to that which is perfect. He cannot, because personal love is based on the attractiveness of the object. And God cannot be attractive, attracted to anything that is less than perfect because He is utterly perfect. Romans 5, 8. Oh, well, excuse me. His impersonal love is directed towards that which is imperfect. 
And I'm glad of that. I'm glad that He can love that which is imperfect. But He loves it in an impersonal sense. That means He can love us based on who and what He is, not who and what we are. But once a person believes the gospel, then that love switches to a personal type of love because we have something that is very attractive to Him, and that is His own righteousness. Because when we believe in Jesus Christ, at that point, we acquire God's own righteousness, which is huge, very big. We've already gone over these, so I'm not going to go over the verses. I'm just highlighting things right now. God's veracity. Habitual observance of truth in speech or statement. Truthfulness. Conformity to truth. Honesty. It is impossible for God to lie. Titus 1, 2, and as well as Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. That's especially comforting in the time in which we live. If you watch that one-eyed idiot box, you can't watch it for very long without being lied to. Uh, all you have to do is watch news. Especially in an election year, you can, you can wonder, can anyone be trusted? Is anybody telling the truth? Or they interrupt the liars, politicians, in order to give you a commercial. And then what is the commercial saying? They're holding up a box of cereal. And it says, this has, um, what is it, that uh, fiber. This has fiber in it. It's good. Feed this to your children. And you say, okay, boy. And they have a picture of a valley and, and all this. It's just a scenic thing. That's as far as they want you to go. Because if you start reading the ingredients... You think that that box of cereal should be sold in a pharmacy. It's full of chemicals. It's full of all kinds of things. So we're used to being lied to, aren't we? We don't want to become necessarily cynical. We want to think for ourselves and not just believe everything that is said. We need to read the labels. But it's nice to know that when you open God's Word, it is absolutely 100% unadulterated Truth, there's not a lie. Now, there are lies that uh, it will quote or it will, um, in a particular incident, it, it will repeat a lie that someone may have said, but nothing in it with regards to God is false. Here's a few verses. Second Samuel 7:28. And now, O Lord God, Thou art God, and Thy words are true. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. I want you all, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the very front. Turn to the very front of it. Now keep your hand in wherever you were if you want to. But most Bibles have a blank page right or two right at the front. I want you to put just right in there, John 17, 17. It's an easy number to remember. Just repeat it. Sanctify means to set someone apart for blessing. It's saying sanctify or set, set, set them apart for blessing in the truth because thy word is truth. It's not about the truth. It is truth. 
And that's what everybody's looking for. What is the truth? Well, God's Word is truth. It's not just the truth. It is truth. Isn't that good to know? John 17, 17. Now, there will be a lot of people who will challenge you on that. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm teaching the Getting the Gospel Right series. And I haven't got to it yet, but before long I will get to the part to where you, as a believer, need to not only be able to turn to John 17, 17 and show that the Bible itself says that it is truth, but you also need to give the evidence as to why it is truth. And there's five evidences. Do you want me to give you a pop test on that right now? Okay, I'll move on. If you can't give me five evidences, why? Some of the, some of the young people can't. I'm not going to put them on the spot. If I did, they'd never come back to young people's class. But they've been taught it anyway, that it is truth. Okay, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor as a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? We're going to get back to Joshua before too long. This is just kind of an intercalation of Joshua as we handle faith rest because it came up in Joshua. But when we get back to it, we are going to start with chapter 12. I did some studying on chapter 12 last night, and I can assure you, it's one of the most boring chapters in the Bible. If you want to sleep and you can't go to sleep, find your Bible, open to Joshua chapter 11, verse 12, and start reading. It will put you to sleep. Well, why is it there? It's there because of the importance of knowing that God's veracity is unassailable. But I get ahead of myself. I'll get to that Lord willing. And the creeks don't rise. Titus 1, 1 and 2. The knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. When people say that nothing is impossible with God, well, you have to look at the context there because there are things that God cannot do. One of them right here says it's impossible. He cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible for him to be wrong. There you go to his righteousness. It's impossible for him to be unfair, to be unjust. So there are things that God cannot do, and lies one of them. Hebrews 6:18. In order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. There's no other written material that you will ever put your hands on that can make this claim that it is unadulterated truth. The next one is omniscience. Now, it looks like omniscience. And I wish it really it was pronounced omniscience because it would explain the word but it's not, if you want to look like a lightweight, theologically, just call it omniscience. But it's pronounced 
omniscience. Omniscience is having infinite knowledge or understanding. You have two words, omni, which means unlimited, and science means knowledge. So it is unlimited knowledge. There's nothing that God does not know, even to the numbers of the hairs on your head, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, and Luke chapter 12, verse 7. Now, for some of us, us guys, that's not a great feat. But still, I don't know. I'm looking at some of the guys that are follically challenged, like myself. When you start counting them, I'm sure there's quite a few there. You know, I, I knew this when I went to church as a little boy. Every time the doors were open, we were there, and they were talking about God knows everything. And I would go out in the parking lot and, well, let's say if we went out into this parking lot, and I'm looking at all the gravel out there, and I say, okay, does God know how many little stones of gravel there are out there? What do you say? Absolutely. Sit on the front porch. Nobody does that anymore. I do. I live out in the country. I have a porch. And I look out there now, and I can actually see some grass. And it's green. And I'm thinking, okay, does God know how many blades of grass are in this yard? What do you think? Does he know it? Yeah, but does he know how many roots are there? <laughs> how many grains of sand are on the shores of the entire world? Does God know that? If you know anything about astronomy, this is the one that will really blow your doors off. That's a 60s expression. I don't know if y'all... Have anybody ever heard that except me? Oh, okay, there's one. It came from the idea that that was the age of the muscle car. And if you were really bragging about your car, you would say, I'm going to blow your doors off. In other words, you're going to go past them so fast it's going to blow their doors off. I guess it kind of loses the oomph when you got to explain it. Anyway, back to the stars. Um... The Bible says that not only has God, does God know the number of stars, which is in the quintillions, He's named each one. He's the one that holds them in place. When we're talking about such things, certainly we're talking about His omniscience, but what other attribute that we haven't got to yet is that referring to? It's the omni, omnipotent. His power. Here's a few verses. Well, before I get to the verse, I've got to explain this. God's knowledge is unlimited. He knows not only everything that ever happens, but also all the possibilities that could ever happen. And all this is in His mind at all times. Now let your mind wrap around that one. Huh? How much do we know that is only a possibility? that could happen but won't? How far can you project your mind in saying, well, maybe this could happen? How far can you go? If it didn't rain today, how many people would be here? Do you know? You could guess, huh? Well, there'd be 20 more people here if it didn't rain. And you're, you're hypothesizing. You're guessing. It's just a potential 
But God knows. He could tell you exactly how many there would be. When you think of God's omniscience, of knowing everything, that not only, know, that not only includes everything that will happen, I'm not going to get into the divine decrees because that will truly blow your doors off. God decreed all the things that were actually going to happen because He knows everything. And when He decreed it, He said, these are the things that are actually going to happen because I know it. I, time is no element with me. So I'm going to decree. In the divine decree, this is everything that will ever happen in all of human history and angelic history. This is it. And I am declaring it. I am demonstrating my omniscience that I know it. Now, outside of that, you know, when we think of it in those terms, that, that's pretty big, right? God knows every person, every thought, every action, everything that will ever take place. From the time that He created the angels to the time of the door of eternity, He knows everything. Now, to us, that's vast. But you know what? That's little bitty compared to what He knows because that's the things that will actually happen. He also knows at the same time everything that could happen, the potentials, and He can take that out to the nth degree. For instance, did any of you have a, a sweetheart going to school? Any of you really fall for somebody, but you wind up not marrying them? Does that happen to anybody? Hello, are you all alive out there? I hope in your mind you're saying, oh, yes, and now I've got to get back. <laughs> you start thinking about this luscious gal or this handsome guy that had a head full of hair and a mouth full of teeth and all the rest of it. I want to get you back to where this is what God knows. He can tell you what would happen if you'd have married that person. How many kids would you have had? What would be their names? How many kids would they have? What would be the ramifications of that throughout all history? He knows that about every one of us. Everything about what would have happened. What if you had gone to another college? What if you had moved to a certain town? God can tell you to the nth degree. Are you beginning to see what omniscience is? How powerful what all our God knows? And here's the kicker. He keeps that in his mind all the time. See, we have a subconscious. I hope I don't offend you, but you have a pea brain just like I do. It's a wonderful mechanism. But it's like a hard drive on a computer. And if you look at how much information it will hold, it is astonishing. But if you look at how much information we actually store there, it's embarrassing. I'm glad you all have a sense of humor. To us, the knowledge that we have, oh, it's vast, but it's just a little bitty part of the brain. It could, you can multiply it times 100 and the brain can say, no problem. i got the space. But our brain is so wonderful that if you ever did try to fill it up, it just start making more brain cells and you could, you could take it from there. I can assure you, my brain is not in danger of that. But that information that we do have, we can't even think about it all the time. It goes down into our subconscious. You see, every time we 
have we think of something, there is an impulse that goes through the synapses and the things close and electrical and biological and chemical and all these things happen. And it goes into your hard drive and it finds those files that have to do with those subjects and it brings it up into your consciousness so you can think about it then. Because we can't think of all that we know all at the same time. You understand how it works? But I'm telling you, God is not like that. He does not have a subconscious. He's omniscient. And He does all these things. He knows all the potential. And He's thinking about them all the time. He doesn't have to... Let me, now, let me see. Let me bring this up. God never tries to remember anything because He's thinking about it all the time. Are you beginning to see how great our God is and what He knows? And we have a problem. And we wonder... Does God know about it? And we wonder, is He capable of handling it? Think about His omniscience, what He knows. The Bible tells us that even before the earth and the heavens were created, you know what God was doing? He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. Because, see, in omniscience, time is no factor with God. We go back into our past and we try to remember things. Sometimes I can go two minutes back in my past and I don't remember where I put my glasses. That happens nearly every day. God can go, well, there's no past or present or future with God. Isn't it going to be amazing that one of these days we are out of time? I don't mean out of time you quit breathing. I'm talking about out of the realm of time. That just blows my doors off. How can we be out of time? When we all go to heaven, and as a believer, we all are going to be in heaven one of these days, and we're going to have a great feast. All right. I don't want to be late. What time is it going to be? Well, there's no time. I don't know how that works. Do you? I think one good thing about it, though, is I won't have to worry about being late. <laughs> well, anyway. Are you beginning to get the idea of how great the knowledge of our God is? In the science aspects of the Bible, the Bible speaks to science sometimes. And he talks about the things that are made are of things that are not visible. We're in the 21st century. I mean, we are very technological advanced. We're very sophisticated. Some of us, some of you. I don't have an iPad or... I do have an iPod. Anyway, with all these advances, you know what we still cannot see? An atom. All of the things that we have and the basic building blocks that God built everything with is not visible to us. And God said that in His Word. Let's get a few scriptures. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things which have not been done, saying, 
My purpose will be established. There's His sovereignty. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Isaiah 41, 26. Who has declared this from the beginning that we might know? Or from former times that we may say He is right? What other, what other thing in that verse other than omniscience is the issue there? What attribute comes out in that verse of Isaiah 41, 26? His righteousness, right? Nearly every time you see something highlighted about one of His attributes, you can find other ones there as well. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. There's, you have judgment there. Justice. And unfathomable His ways. Omniscience is huge. God knows every moment what you're going through. And He's always known it. He knows what you're thinking right now. I hope that you're thinking, if you had something, some name for the file of what you're thinking right now, I hope it would be gratitude that we have such a God. The next one is the omnipotence. It's not omnipotence. It's omnipotence. Actually, omni means unlimited and potence means power or strength. It means supreme, infinite, Unlimited power, a, a word applicable only to God. You know, I have unlimited power there, but I would strike that out. He has, he has essentially ultimate power. But His power is limited by His own attributes. God could do things with His power, but He can't do things that would infringe upon any of his other attributes. You understand? So in that sense, it is limited. But it is the ultimate power. God's, God's power is unlimited. <laughs> in one sense it is, but it is limited by his own essence. Genesis 18:14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Y'all know the context of that? Who is he talking to? Abraham. Who is Sarah? His wife. And God is, in the form of Jesus Christ, is telling Abraham that he's going to return and she's going to have a son. What did Sarah do when she heard this? She laughed, didn't she? She doubted the power of God. And so she had a son whose name was Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. So she was stuck with that the rest of her life. You want to laugh at God? Then you're going to call your son laughter. Who's going to have the last laugh? Jeremiah 32:27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Now I know some of you have issues, and you have problems you're dealing with right now. This is a rhetorical question in Jeremiah. And the answer, of course, is there's nothing too powerful for our God. 
Psalm 147, verse 4 through 5. He counts the number of the stars. Remember I told you that? And they say they, say they are billions of stars in just our Milky Way galaxy. Billions, maybe even trillions. And there are billions of galaxies just like it or even larger throughout the heavens. And he's counted each one, but he also named them. Look, he gives names to all of them. Okay, your assignment for next week is I want you to name all the stars in the Milky Way. You better get to writing because there's billions of them. We have a hard time naming our child. If we have one child, people go ballistic. Oh, no, what are we going to name him? Just one child. Two. I have a niece that has eight children. And I'm not all that good with names. So I was rehearsing all the way up. I was going to see them last week, all the way up there. We were rehearsing. And what are the names again? No, 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 no. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. So what do we have in here? We're talking about His power is unlimited. He created the stars. I, I, you know, I have this under omnipotence, but I guess really it goes more towards His omniscience, wouldn't it? He knows all the names. He gave them the names. Well, it says abundant in strength, but his understanding is infinite, which speaks to his omniscience. Now, you can't see this, I don't think. But I'm going to... Can anybody make this out? This? That line? Y'all can make that out? I can't only make it out from here. Okay, well, I put it there because I was going to use this verse without actually having it here. But some of you have such good eyes that I might as well just put it in. Thinking about his strength, uh, Colossians 1. <laughs> 16 to 17. <laughs> All. <laughs> Can you read that for me? Uh, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and Him all things hold together. Let that sink in. I won't put little things on there again. I'll just go ahead and blow it up. Some can see it anyway, better than I can. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? All things were created... Uh, by Him and through Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In other words, not only are all the stars in their proper order. If you know the constellations, and you go out and you look at Orion, which is a winter constellation, you can be guaranteed it's going to look like it has always looked because He holds it all together. Now, the thing is, these stars aren't just sitting around. They're moving at tremendous speeds in all different directions, but they're so far away from us that if uh, it would take maybe 5,000 years for, from our visibility standpoint for them to move an eighth of an inch in the sky. That shows how grand our God is in the scope of the universe. 
And he's holding it all together. You know what else he's holding together? The atoms. If the atoms... Jesus Christ holding all these atoms together. It's the building block of everything. If he says, I think I'll let loose the atoms, what would happen? Well, I wouldn't recognize you and you wouldn't recognize me, that's for sure. This is showing the greatness of our God. Isaiah 40, verse 26, Because of the greatness of his might and strength of his power, not one of them, referring to the stars, is missing. In Job, he talks about the Maseroth. The Maseroth is that invisible arc across the sky that we know as the Zodiac. And those constellations that are on that band, that invisible band that goes around the earth, are called the signs of the Zodiac. And I taught a, a series one time called God's Message in the Stars, and it's been perverted from, for, uh, by the astrology. But they are always in that same place because God holes in there. Not any of them are missing. How would you like to try to hold, hold that together? Hebrews 1.3 says He upholds all things by the word of His power. God isn't up there in heaven just, oh, He's straining, trying to hold everything together. I mean, if you got that idea that He's boy, it's an, no. They're held together by what? The word of his power. You think that God's word does not have power? Jeremiah 27 5. I have made, that word is Asa, means he's fashioned the earth. The men and the beasts which are on the face of the earth by my great power and my outstretched arm, and I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Okay, we see that we have omnipotence in there what else what's the other what other attribute do you see in this verse we haven't got to it excuse me yet sovereignty he will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight because he's sovereign now we get to omnipresent Omnipresent. Presence everywhere at the same time. Unbounded, universal presence. All three omniworks, by the way, are applicable only to God. You got that? If it's omni, it's only related to God. Now, other people have veracity and they have love and righteousness and justice. We have it in a very relative form. God has it in the absolute form. But no person is omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. Only God. Now, God is a spirit. One reason He's a spirit is because He's everywhere at the same time. Now, I don't think a person can say that. Have you ever wished you were at two places at the same time? Well, God is everywhere at the same time. God is ever-present because He is not limited to time and space. No one can escape from God's presence, nor can anyone seek Him and not find Him available. Why? Because He's everywhere. Is God here today? Yes, well, He's omnipresent. Obviously, He is. Not only is He here among us, we can also say as believers, He's what? In us. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places? 
so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you could build for me? And where is the place that I may rest? This has to do with the temple. Remember when David wanted to build the temple? He didn't allow David to do it, but he said, Your son Solomon is going to build it. But it wasn't a house that God needs in order to abide. That's the context of this. And in verse 2 he says, For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Those are the ones that get God's attention. Now, let's backtrack for just one second because I've got to close. These are the attributes of God we've covered so far. Now, if you have an issue, if you have a problem, if you have a tendency between now and next week when we go through the rest of these attributes, what can we do? Okay, we have a problem. First of all, is God just? Is He fair? Is He going to treat us fair in this issue? Yes. Is He going to be right? Do we have to have any, any fear that what His decisions will be will be uh, incorrect? No, absolutely. He's going to be right. The love aspect. Does He love us? God manifested His love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died as a substitute for us. When we were still His enemies, He did the most for us, which was Jesus Christ going to the cross and God the Father poured His sins upon Him. There's no greater demonstration of love ever than that. So He loves you, immeasurably so. Veracity. Is he telling the truth when he says, Trust me and fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Can we believe that? By the way, that is our memory verse for this month. Omniscience. Does he know about your problems? Are you going to catch God off guard? Uh, well, he, God, God never says, well, you know, I would have answered your prayer, but I just didn't know about it. I was too busy. Never happened. Omnipotence. Is He strong enough to take care of your problem? If He created the universe from speaking, speaking it into existence, is He powerful enough to take care of your problem? His om, omnipresence. Is he available? Not only is he as close as your mouth, he is in you. He's there at all times. Do you see how the essence of God worked in conjunction with faith rest? And I challenge you. I don't know when it's going to happen, but you're going to hit a wall, and it's probably pretty soon, of problems. And you, like me, are going to be very tempted to panic. We want to just... just Fill our soul with mental attitude sins of fear and worry and anxiety and anger. This is when we start using the essence box. Now, wait a minute. Does God know about this? Does He love me? Is He going to be fair? Is, is He going to be right in what He does? Is He telling the truth when He says, Put your burden upon me? 
Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. And how do you, how do you gain that rest? Through faith rest. That's what it's about. I'd like everyone please to bow your heads and close your eyes. You know, I think everybody here this morning is believers. And so this message is really for those that might hear over the Internet. If you're wondering about God's attributes, know this. He demonstrated His love towards us when Christ went to the cross. And He paid the sins for the sins of all mankind, including you. He died and was buried. And He was resurrected. Now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for that eternal life. You see, that's one of the attributes we haven't gotten to yet is eternal life. God is eternal. He could not give eternal life unless that was one of His attributes. And He gives it as a free gift to anyone who will trust Christ and Christ alone. You can do it. If you're listening over the Internet, you don't have to be in church. Right there where you are, you can say, this is when I start putting my total trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not trusting on my own good works anymore. Because your, your good works are filthy rags to God. So we implore you to do that. To trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Father, we're so thankful that we have the time and the place, your word, to study your great essence. We are in awe of who you are. And we pray that this will make a difference when we face the exigencies of this life. And when the adversities come, we will automatically switch to thinking of the essence box because it describes you and how wonderful you are. And when we do, our problems shrink. So we thank you for this and pray that you will help us to meditate on these things to where they will always be at the ready in time of danger. For we pray it all in Christ's most high and holy name.